Blog Talk Radio. Let me go on Facebook. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. And we have Baron Bircher here, and he's Brian. Yeah, and he's going to talk about reckoning. I have to tell you, this. Uh, Ty Dawson is one of my favorites. He's the kind of lawman that gets the job done and doesn't back off, which we need more of. Let me tell you. <laughs> As well, a woman, I'm glad you appreciate him. I, I I love him, and I felt so bad for Casey. So, where's my questions? They're in front of me right here. Um, give us the history of Ty and his manner of dealing with his staff, and a little bit about the background of the book because. The title fits it, for real. Yes, well, Seriously. thank you. Yeah, thank you. Very good. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me here today. I've been looking forward to this, and always lovely to chat. I love your show, so it's a, it's a thrill to be here. Um, Reckoning, the book we're talking about today, is the third in the Ty Dawson series, mm. and it is set in the 1970s in rural Oregon, and um, it's a it's a vast county in terms of uh, uh, you know real estate and acreage and so forth, but the livestock population outnumbers people by a considerable margin. Uh, mm. Life is a agrarian, you know, uh, largely untouched sort of lifestyle uh, that has been going on since the turn of the century, since the 1900s, but. The 1970s roll around, and all of a sudden, the entire nation is awash in change. We've got uh, the Vietnam War coming to an end. We've got turmoil in the White House. We've got mm. uh, growing mistrust between uh, the, uh, the, the population and sort of government agencies. And there's just a lot of social, cultural, political turmoil uh, that Meriwether County, the fictional county in which this takes place, has really been untouched until now, and uh, the history seems to be kind of catching up with it. And Ty Dawson is a cattle rancher himself uh, who was sort of involuntarily conscripted to become the sheriff mm. of the uh, the area, and that is all uh, uh, part of the very first book, South California Purples. And uh, he has taken on the job with uh, his signature integrity and uh, cowboy wit. But he's amazing because he doesn't back down. That's what I like about him. And he just does gets it done. So he's got this friend who I really felt bad with, Casey Sheridan. I like this man, 
And how does what happened to him uh, to the chain of events that spiral out of control? And why did why are they in real life? Are they allowed to do that? Seriously? Um, uh, yes. You know, in fact, if you indulge me, could I read a couple of uh, paragraphs that will kind sure. of set up uh, the question that you just asked me? Because uh, it, it is the jumping off spot for reckoning. It's it's the first you know, real major plot uh, element. And mm-hmm. this kind of will give uh, your listeners a, a little bit of background. So bear okay. with me here for, for just a moment. Uh, here, this is from Reckoning. Ordinarily, autumn in Meriwether County would come in hard and sudden like a stone hurled through a window. But this mm-hmm. year it snuck in slow and mild, lingered there deceitfully while we waited for the ax to come down. The sky that morning was turquoise, empty of clouds, the uh, altitude strung with elongated Vs of migrating geese and a single contrail that resembled a surgical scar, the narrows between the high valley walls opening to a broad vista of rangeland some distance below. I received a phone call at home the night before from an unusually distressed Casey Sheridan. I had known Casey for as long as I could remember, a pragmatic and taciturn cattleman whose family history in the area dated back to the late 1800s, much like that of my own. Three generations of Sheridans had stretched fence wire, planted feed grass, and run rough stock through deeded ranch land that measured its acreage in the tens of thousands and whose boundaries straddled two separate counties, one of which was mine. But the decade of the 70s thus far has not been any kinder or gentler to cowboys than to anybody else. And Casey and his wife, Irene, have now found themselves increasingly subject to the fulminations and the intimidation of both local and federal government. Mm. So uh, that's kind of where we begin. And your mm-hmm. question was, you know, why and can they? And um, it, short answer is yes. Uh and what's interesting is I, the federal land agencies, such as the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM, mm. uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Forestry Service are the main, uh, uh, you know, sort of people that maintain federal land. And uh, east, well, I should say it, the, the land that they control is largely concentrated in the 12 western states. So, you know, if you draw a line from, say, you know, the Canadian border where North Dakota is all the way down to Texas, everything west of there, uh, there's a significant concentration of federal control uh, mm. over land. For instance, in, uh, in Oregon, about 53% of the land is controlled by federal agencies and not privately owned. Mm. Uh, the state of Nevada is closer to 70%. So uh, the relationship that has has arisen between private landholders, particularly uh, uh, cattlemen and, and ranchers, and the federal agencies has, has been at times kind of contentious and, and kind of alien uh, to people who are not part of that 12 Western states because it doesn't, it, it's just not part of, of your, your world. So, oh yes, they, 
they have an, uh, an exceptional amount of uh, authority over what they can and cannot do. Uh, and then sometimes, as, as happens with power, uh, there's a, there can be an overreach and an overstep. But, mm. uh, you know, when you've got somebody who's very, very strong that is opposing you, uh, it, it is often hard to fight back. And that's the situation that Casey Sheridan finds himself in where the the uh, uh, federal agencies are actually fencing off the source of water that he uses to feed his cattle mm-hmm. and to support his cattle. And they are doing so because they're saying that's where the border of their land jurisdiction is. And a dispute ensues, and, you know, it's one small rancher versus the federal government. And there we are. That That's, that's scary. I know because I said, "Gee, I know they're not. I know basically they're not entitled to this. I couldn't imagine that they were entitled to it, but there had to be a reason. There has to be a back reason as to why. So, who who is Lynch, and how does he create more violence and deaths? Uh, well, here's what happened. Um, the I like to to put uh, a lot of actual history, you know, mm-hmm. embed that in, in my stories. This being said, in the early 70s, uh, there's plenty of history to, to embed uh, culturally and so forth. However, this, uh, this Casey Sheridan ranch issue more closely mirrors something that happened a lot more recently, and that was the, uh, you may recall in 2016, there was a, a takeover of uh, a wildlife refuge in mm-hmm. uh, eastern, eastern Oregon. The Malheur Wildlife Refuge was the name of the place. And uh, there was a standoff up there that lasted a little over a month. And, you know, one one man was, was killed and there was a lot of turmoil. Uh, and I borrowed from that uh, mm-hmm. occurrence to sort of frame the fact that uh, that impact Casey Sheridan because uh, I, I kind of like to have the guardrails of reality around my stories and this would would keep me honest in terms of uh, uh, staying within the boundaries of, of how government actually works and how ranchers actually respond by using a, 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 the architecture of an actual historical event. So that's what happened here. And the gentleman that you were just asking for, one of the characters, is a relative of Casey Sheridan's, uh, the old man whose ranch is being manhandled. Uh, And he's had enough because he's experienced it himself in the state of Nevada where he lives. Mm. And he drives all the way out to Oregon to support his relative and uh, say enough's enough. And he's going to stand up against the forces of uh, the feds. So that his mere presence is kind of a burr under the saddle of the federal authorities as soon as he shows up, because he doesn't show up alone. He brings some friends. This is this is scary because this could actually this is actually does happen. That's even scarier. So. Oh well, yes, exactly. No, Ty comes into it. I love this guy, and Agent Nash. He needs to be fired. Seriously, I don't like him. <laughs> I know I've met I've met a lot of people recently that really think that because they have authority, 
they can, you know, get one over on you or tell you or scare people. And when Ty doesn't get scared and Casey doesn't back down, they go, good for you. So how did Ty come into play and Agent Ash, and why did Ty face such resistance? I mean, that that's horrible. Uh, well, you know, there's, it, what happens here seems to be uh, a lot of what you just mentioned. You know, sometimes people can handle authority, and they do so with mm. dignity. Uh, other times, uh, I think if a person of weak character is given more authority than than he or she can tolerate, they end up being uh, tyrannical. And uh, in the case of, of this particular character who's uh, mm-hmm. a federal agent who's given sort of uh, control over this growing standoff situation, uh, he's more tyrannical. And he mm-hmm. tends to overextend his hand and Ty Dawson, by his nature, is more of a, uh, uh, a thinker. He he sees things more in terms of right and wrong and good and bad and what's, what's right for more people. And uh, that is not in – it's not consistent with the way that uh, Agent Nash wants to deal with the situation. He wants to come in as an authoritarian and kind of put his foot mm-hmm. down and be done with it. Well, this 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 cracked me up, by the way. It was in Chapter Five, but it's before that too. The two robbers—they're hilarious. They're, that's hilarious. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my God!" The two robbers became involved in the death of a detective, and it shows that they're really idiots. They're so stupid. And I said, "Oh my God!" I didn't know if the laugh or cry was funny. Well, they they were they kind of made me laugh a little bit as well. Uh, my for those who have not read uh, my books, I I tend to like to write in in a uh, construction that I think of in terms mm-hmm. of nested narratives. So I like to have two or three separate stories going on at once mm-hmm. that are actually intertwined, but it's not always self-evident at the get-go uh, as to what ties these three things together. So you and I have discussed the Casey's Sheridan uh, fed federal land standoff issue, and that's the one thing that's driving the story. Uh, there is another. Uh, there is a the murder of a, uh, or the death, I should say, of a, uh, P- Portland Police Bureau detective mm-hmm. who's found in a fishing cabin there mm-hmm. in Meriwether County. And then there are these two hapless uh, uh, <laughs> petty criminals who are uh, escaping some crimes that they've been on a spree with in Montana, and they find themselves in Oregon as well. And when these three items, these three uh, plots, come together and collide, uh, sparks fly. And those two guys, I, I wanted to find a, a different voice to use when I was dealing with the two criminal types uh, because they're very different. They're very different types of characters within the, the story structure here of Reckoning. So I wanted to give them a different kind of voice. And mm. what I did was... Uh, 
I told myself what I'm going to do here is I'm going to write it with purely dialogue and that there will be no descriptions of what they look like, what they're doing, uh, where they are, what time of day it is. And it will be upon me as the author to write them in such a way that the dialogue says everything that the reader needs to know. And it was a fun exercise for me. And, and it really brought out the uh, personalities of the characters and forced me to use voices that were unique to these two fellows. And uh, I'm, glad they, I'm glad it worked for you because it did for me, but it was a bit of a risk. This, this is hilarious. I'm looking at Chapter 10, and I'm reading this, and I'm going, <laughs> this is it's so funny. And they're such idiots, and then something bad happens because of them. You've got to read this, people. It's no fun if, you, if anybody reads it for you. So, Casey, my, I felt so bad. Why was he arrested? Why did the judge seem helpless when asked about Casey and his case? I mean, a judge should be able to, well, I'm not crazy about judges, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as I said, I, I wanted to try to hew closely to things that have actually mm. uh, have precedent in history. And with this uh, the standoff at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge just, you know, six or seven years ago, mm. uh, there, there was a lot to draw from there. And a lot of what happens to Casey Sheridan uh, mirrors in, in many ways what actually happened in the case of the, uh, um, the Malheur problem. And we had federal judges that have um, agendas of their own, let's say, or have uh, forces of other people's agendas being foisted on them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you just, it, it's politics rather than, than judicial service. And it, it happens. Uh, I, I, I want to believe it doesn't happen often. But it does happen, and when it does, it feels egregious, or it should. I, I just wonder sometimes if they have two sides and they sort of play to the other side because it benefits them, the judge, too. And I don't trust yeah. anything. Well, I think we've all uh, we've all grown more mm-hmm. cynical than wouldn't perhaps we yeah. were, and uh, I'm not sure that's an entirely bad thing. I get, you know to to take the blinders off a little bit, but uh, it, it is a little scary when you think that that uh, there are, there are those in power who could run amok. <laughs> There's a lot of them that did. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, at least. Do- the weather plays a lot into the moods. I love that because the way you write that, I get angry when it rains. I get angry when it, when it's too hot. And we had the, the we had the Chicago the Chicago the Canada smoke last week. I had to stay home. It was horrible. Okay. So the weather and tell us about Morgan. Why isn't Ty? He gets a funny feeling about him. Um, well. In, in addressing the weather part of it, uh, mm-hmm. it, it is something that, uh, for me, uh, part of it's uh, just stylistically, because for me, it, it's important to set a tone 
uh, in a scene and you know, not just weather, but just what things smell mm-hmm. like and look like and what does it feel yeah. like. And it, it, I think it can, done properly, inform uh, a reader as to the mood of a character and why they mm-hmm. might be behaving a certain way. You know, they might be more agitated or who knows. But uh, like, because we can't use music, <laughs> we don't have soundtracks that go with books. Mm. Uh, all, all we have is words. And I like to create a, uh, a word picture that would sort of uh, do the same thing that mood music would if we had a soundtrack. <laughs> So who is who is where, and who is his partner? And tell us about. I felt so bad for Casey. They didn't want to give him bail. Tell us about his lawyer. I got really upset. Uh, How could you keep an innocent person in jail? But they don't care. <laughs> well, let me let me uh, remind again the uh, the listeners that uh, th- this is. Uh, book three, and it was yeah. actually, Fran, as you know, it was, it was actually slated for release today. Uh, mm-hmm. However, it got delayed for uh, publisher reasons that, uh, you know, okay, these these things are happening with increasing frequency, but uh, the book is now coming out in uh, on September 12th, which gives oh, everybody okay. an opportunity to catch up on the first two Ty Dawson books, so please do. Uh, you do, certainly don't have to. You can dive in anywhere you'd like. But uh, as a result of everything I just said, uh, I, I am trying to tread cautiously about uh, uh, anything that might become a spoiler. The characters you mention uh, are two uh, Portland Police Bureau mm. uh, detectives. And um, they figure into uh, one of the nested narrative plots that drive Reckoning. Um, Another bit of historical background is that in the late 60s and early 70s, Portland Police Bureau was suffering from a very serious uh, corruption problem that had reached the level of uh, Senate investigation. And Mm. people, officials from Portland, Oregon, were being called back to testify in front of Senate committees about the level of corruption that Mm. was taking place, having to do with uh, everything from sex trafficking to uh, trafficking in heroin and other narcotics and uh, you know, just money laundering and uh, just a lot of nefarious activity that had reached just commercial proportions of uh, uh, audacity. And um, by the time that the reckoning story is taking place, which again is about 1975, um, they're still reeling. Portland Police Bureau is just reeling mm. from the black eye that they have suffered. Mm. And it's been on television nationally, so everybody knows that it's a, 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 just a corrupt organization. So some of those people are uh, in the Bureau are trying to clean it up, and others are still playing by the old rules, and there's a lot of uh, push and pull. Mayors got, uh, you know, uh, elected and then unelected and quit and resigned and all kinds of things 
over this stuff, and uh, it was really quite ugly. And it's that background within the Portland mm. City Police universe that reckoning is taking place. It doesn't affect Dawson other than uh, these two cops uh, show up in his county and trouble ensues that they sort of foment. And, uh, it, you know, they brought their stink with them when they came into Meriwether County. And uh, Dawson isn't having it. I don't blame him. But there are a couple of other people that aren't so wonderful, too. So we have Strickland, who I don't like. We have Vessie, who I don't like. And... <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I read this, and then this morning I said, let me pick up my the book so I can get this back in my brain, because I, I read it, and I was just so glad it came. I got so worried, because Dina said it wasn't coming, and I go, you can't do that to me. Because post, <laughs> post office is bringing nothing, seriously. Um, yeah. one, of, one of the authors on Facebook, Deb Pine, said, did, you, did the book come? I go, what book? I had no idea she was sending yeah. one. I mean, the proposal was bringing nothing. I was lucky I got this. So who is Vessie? Who is Strickland? And who is Chris Wass? And why did he decide, Rose, to help Ty? Uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to try to tiptoe around the, the outside. Yeah, that's question. okay. Those are great questions. But um, the uh, characters you mentioned, there's no shortage of bad guys, as, as you mm-hmm. can probably tell. Uh, and, you know, not, these are not, hopefully they don't come across as mustache-twirling villains, but rather no. uh, real-life people making real-life di- decisions that sometimes are very selfish and solipsistic. Mm. And as a result, um, the, the outcomes that ripple out from what they do uh, is is very unfortunate and very nasty and hurts people. And most of the time, those types of personalities don't really care what happens to you if, as long as they get what they want. And that, the about right. people that the the characters that you were mentioning are largely people. They're individuals plying their trade. One's a, I believe, one's a mm. lawyer. Two of them are kind of uh, bag men that mm-hmm. are, are uh, you know, of a, of a criminal mindset, although they're not just, again, these are not mustache-twirling uh, uh, bad guys. They're, they're businessmen, but they are very selfish uh, businessmen, and they're not motivated by things that you and I might consider uh, wholesome. So, you know, they're all they're all plying their trades, but not necessarily with any dignity or integrity. A lot of people do that in real life, anyway. That's well, really that's, sad. That is, uh, you know, when when push comes to shove, it's the thing that I love yeah. about writing the Dawson series is, though it's set in the seventies, uh, the the parallels that run through our lives here, you know, 50 years later, are still there. People are still people. The decisions they make are still motivated by many of the same things. And You know, it, it was a real eye-opener for me to realize, wow, I'm, I'm writing about the 70s, but I might as well be writing about last week. 
I know. I know it's it's scary because I can't stand people that judge people by color, weight, or status or how much money you have. I just consider everybody yeah. the same. You, you, exactly, and I feel the same way. And uh, you know, it, is there a uh, is there a more trite way to uh, to prejudge people than what you just outlined? Yeah. I mean, it's just so trite and so inaccurate and and uh, I don't know, silly. Now, Casey really is a great character, and. I just got a box of tissues at the end. That's all I'm going to say. How and why does he agrees to to go in and to take you know to be taken in? So why does the plan go okay at first and then oh God? Well, you know what's interesting is that uh, part came from uh, from history, and really? there was it, it, yeah at the at the end of the standoff. In uh, Oregon in 2016, uh, there was an opportunity for – some people were given an opportunity to uh, leave the, the place that they had been uh, mm. I, uh, you know, holding, and uh, they were given sort of free passage, or told they were, and um, it turned out that the, that the – that was not that was not true, and uh, and gunplay ensued, and there was mm. there was violence and death, and that happened in real life, and it all turns on um, you know people people making a promise and then going back on that promise, mm-hmm. and uh, it, that to me uh, it, it's at the core of reckoning and it's at the core of. Ty Dawson's character is that, uh, you know, a, a person is as good as their word in his world. And when you don't live up to your world, your word, it's almost all he needs to know about you. And that's that's how I wanted to write uh, Casey Sheridan, and it's how I, I love to address uh, Ty Dawson, is that they have a very... Uh, they have a very strong moral compass that they rely upon. It's not always right, you know, any, any more than anybody else is always right. But uh, but it is his compass, and it's the one he uses, and it's consistent. <laughs> At a minimum, you you know what he's likely to do because you know what his compass is. I, I agree because if your word is not is not your bond, then what good are you? And I've heard people say to me, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. When they didn't, I just said, I don't need you, I can do it myself. Well, most people... to me, I, I'm much the same way as, as what you just yeah. said. And I, and I think sometimes, well, then that's kind of all I need to know. Yeah. So how does Ty deal with it, with what happens, and what happens to Jordan? And then things get really out of hand. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to leave it just like that because you're okay. 100% <laughs> correct, and, and things do get out of hand. And uh, it's to me, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching and seeing what these characters do, and how they respond to the uh, uh, the chaos. I'm getting and, an SOS you know, from it, my niece. 
<laughs> ah, well, we have to take care of those things first. No, she but, she's uh, going to have to wait. She's going to school and she doesn't <laughs> understand her assignments. So I said I would help her, but not now. <laughs> well, later, I got to teach her how to do it herself. <laughs> yeah, um, I understand. How does greed come into this? And tell us how Rose comes into it and why Ty blames him for whatever. One of the characters that uh, is a uh, professional colleague of Ty Dawson's, and he, you know, he makes appearances uh, throughout the series, is the person that you're asking about, and he is a mm-hmm. uh, captain with the uh, with the Oregon State Police, the State Troopers, and uh, the reason for that is the in the state of Oregon. State troopers do something similar to what the highway patrol does in California. They maintain, the, mm. you know, order on the highways. But more well, equally importantly, they also support the small jurisdictions uh, with um, analytical tools, uh, uh, forensic tools, that mm. sort of thing. Because in, you know, in Ty Dawson's county. There's only a handful of people to, uh, you know, on staff as himself and some deputies to enforce the law, which is typically enough. But when you have a murder or multiple murders or things that require forensic detail, uh, because you're going to end up having to, to find a perpetrator and then you're going to have to try them, and uh, the trial needs to be in accordance with, you know, collecting evidence properly, et cetera. Uh, you really need the big guns to handle that mm. with people with, you know, a lot of experience doing that. Captain Chris Rose of the uh, uh, state troopers is the captain in charge of uh, the CID division, the criminal mm. identification division. And he's the one that uh, Ty Dawson often leans on for, uh, detailed forensic matters and uh, kind of what what you what we have all come to expect by watching CSI <laughs> that didn't exist in the seventies. So I watch Law and Order, and I don't believe everything I see there either. To be very honest, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nor should we. I, I think sometimes it's a little bit of a stretch. But uh, yeah. So you know, when when Rose, uh, you know, Rose gets involved here because he has to, and because of some of the things that happen in the plot, uh, there are things beyond uh, Ty Dawson's uh, inherent ability. To, to do, and uh, forensically speaking, and, and that sort of thing. So um, he runs into that. But, you know, a, another thing that, that Chris Rose finds is his organization has politics in it, too. And uh, the state troopers were suffering, I think, by, uh, I don't know, guilt by association, I suppose, they were suffering mm. from a similar black eye that the Portland mm. Police Bureau was back in the 70s because I think it got to the point where it's just, you know, if they're wearing a uniform, they must be corrupt, which, again, you know, the baby and bathwater problem that, that we as humans mm. engage in when we do that sort of thinking um, it causes more problems than it solves. 
That's true. I did a show last year on uh, for the for people that are police officers, uh, de- detectives, FBI, and stuff. And we did uh, a thing Pride Tuesday, and everybody was, uh, you know, the men in blue, and we talked about it, and the fact that not everybody is the same. So that made me feel better that at least when I when I hear people talking about police, you have to you have to really look deep to see if what they're saying is true. So before I forget. Yes. The 22nd, we have the author of Deadly Wilderness. On the 27th, we have the author of The Empty Kayak. And then Friends Done until August. When I start with New York Times author John Deppin, um, we're going to talk about Deadly Depth. And on the 17th, I am totally honored. He does one every couple of months. He has taken over the Jason Bourne series, Brian Friedman, and his new book will be coming out, and I didn't get it yet. So I am I am really excited. And in September on the 20th, Tess Gerenson is coming on with Spy Coast. And if wow. anybody has another book, com- book coming out, I just booked one for December. September is almost done. October's got a few. November's got a few. And who knows? It's amazing. What a fantastic lineup, Fran. That's uh, That's impressive. I, I get impressed too, and I go like, "Oh my God, I've got a whole bunch more in in August, and I'm waiting for my reading professor to tell me what our August eighth conference is going to be." We talk about reading and writing strategies because that's my field. So the professor, um, Dr. Cavuto, tells me what we're going to talk about, what I have to look up, and guess who asks the questions? Not me, <laughs> for real. Yes. Well, I bet that is really informative. Not only is it, it's it's challenging. So is, <laughs> I'm serious. It's like, oh, my God, you never know what he's going to do. And then at the end, he sends me his critique of how I did. <laughs> for real. Wow. Boy, you, okay. you have to be prepared for your, uh, to get your papers graded then, right? Oh, without a doubt, because if I don't say it right, he's going to correct me right on the air. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so oh, who funny. is Ivy, and how does he connect with Vessie and Strickland? Um, Ivy is a, actually, again, based on an an actual Portland historical figure who Mm. was a 1970s, 1960s and 70s era madam. Mm. And uh, very much a madam in the old school sense of the word. And because the, the police culture was as it was at that time, she really kind of operated with impunity and kind of uh, sanction and a financial uh, give and take among the people that should have been enforcing the law. So she's a colorful character. Now, it's mm. not, I, I want to reinforce, uh, this is not a historical novel. It's only historical in the sense that it's set in the 70s. But as I mentioned, I, I do like to put guardrails on my stories so that there are uh, um, edges of reality against which I don't cross uh, or over which I don't cross. And uh, she's one of those characters that uh, has a very co- colorful history and adds a great deal to uh, the, the story and the plot of reckoning and a lot of uh, depth of emotion, I think, and uh, I I found her to be a very interesting and different kind yeah. of character to write, so I I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
So what I, I, role I does actually, uh, have, have, Oh, go ahead. What role does Caleb play? And there's a lot of greed and blackmail into this too. I can't forget that. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, typically, uh, or at least uh, commonly, it's those are the driving forces behind people that are mm. making illicit choices in their careers. And I think that that was more fallout than design. It's just kind of how it works. It tends to be the motivation is is greed and, uh, you know, narcissism or, or the two biggies, I think. But um, Caleb is a character that is one of mm. my favorites. And mm. I think of him as uh, Ty Dawson's sort of surrogate father. He's an older mm-hmm. cowboy. He uh, manages Ty Dawson's cattle ranch. Uh, it's all he's ever done in his life. He's a man in his probably mid-60s, uh, capable, tough, no nonsense, no real formal education. Um, so he's a, he's a genuine cowboy with genuine cowboy aesthetics and uh, point of view. So sometimes uh, when Ty Dawson needs a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a check on his moral compass, mm-hmm. his he he checks in with uh, with Caleb, and he knows he's going to get the unvarnished truth, at least as Caleb sees it. And uh, I I I like my visits with him. They're they're. I like my visits with all my characters. It's fun to sit down on a given day, and I know that, well, today's the day I'm going to write a Caleb scene or I'm going to write a, uh, an Ivy scene or a whatever. And I get I get excited because I get to visit with an old friend and hear their voice again. And uh, hopefully that's what comes out when you when you read it on the page is that uh, that, that fondness is uh, apparent. I wish I could do that. I write oh. horror, and my book oh. accusations is not getting too many people that read it. But I got a couple of five star reviews, but I got a couple wow. from partners in crime that I just got really upset because people were really nasty. They didn't quite get what I was saying. Their people were wrongly accused. They're telling the story from the grave as to why they were wrongly accused, and the others mm-hmm. were people whose voices. There were two stories that were that were silent. Five of the seven stories really happened for real. And wow. Yeah, people didn't quite understand it. Yeah, one of the teachers in my school committed suicide, but before she committed suicide, she told me what the reason I retired was the principal and what she did to her. So I said, I'm not going to let her voice go. I'm going to write it. And I didn't care. Wow. I just wrote it the way it happened. So, yeah, wow. a lot of that. I can't do I very powerful stuff. Yeah, it is, and it's real. The book is really good, but what can I say? Not everybody understands what I wrote, and I don't really care. It's okay. Well, and there, it, each story, as you know, it it requires different things of us as authors, but the story yeah. itself requires sometimes a different uh, a different angle or a different yeah. approach or a different tone, just to properly uh, tell it. And I don't know. Not everybody gets it. So I, I hear you. It is frustrating. I know it is because I thought I really got. I had like three people edit it, and a whole and a whole bunch. Vincent Zandri read it, and Dick Belsky, a whole bunch of people read it, 
And I said, if I if I wrote something wrong and they don't like it, just tell me because I, I take criticism all the time. I don't care. So, in creating the final takedowns, how does Ivy help? And how did you create this, with especially with the, with law enforcement? Um, you know, because that is sort of the uh, the the. I'm not going to say anything of, of it. <laughs> I best not answer that one, but I will tell you, uh, I was uh, very cautious with that mm-hmm. because I wanted uh, I, realism is very important to me. Yeah. And um, I don't like it when I'm reading a story and somebody does something that is either so vastly out of character that it stands out, you know, like a like a nail sticking up on a basketball <laughs> playing floor. But um, it's it's important that the the story be connected to reality. It, to me, yeah. that is important. So when I constructed the uh, the uh, conclusion of all of this, mm. I really went back to some of it is based on real conclusions that happened to various uh, character types in history. Uh, others are my authorly imagination as to what would these people do given what I know about their uh, mindset and character. Well, what does Ty learn at the end, and how did these incidents change him? Because, you know, everybody goes through a lot of things, and he's one of those law enforcement guys that can't be bought, which is amazing. Right. And right. He, he's he's really the kind of person that I, I'm reading this, and I'm going like, uh, where are you to help people over here? Where are you to do something? And he, he's one of the great characters, and I'm reading um, Deb Pines, Evil for Evil, and the, mm-hmm. the police, the deputy sheriff there is better than the sheriff because he cares more and he's more in tune with what's happening. So mm-hmm. how, does, how did these incidents change him? Well, uh, that's an interesting question that uh, with each book, um, first of all, Ty Dawson's history, the history that he brings to the series before the series even mm-hmm. begins is he is a former military cop uh, with the U.S. Army and a, a veteran of uh, the Korean War. Um, so he brings a certain law enforcement experience to the table before, which is why he gets conscripted in the first place. Uh, to do this job, uh, but he's, he doesn't really relish the idea. Um, and he has a little uh, post-traumatic stress that he carries mm-hmm. around and deals with quietly just from his experience in a shooting war. But these cases that he deals with along the way as sheriff in Meriwether County um, – I think in some ways it reinforces a, a certain amount of cynicism that he has with regard to uh, the human heart. Uh, I think in some ways it, it um, enhances his compassion. He's a very he's a very compassionate guy, but quietly so. Uh, and I think some things touch him very deeply, but he keeps it to himself. And uh, and I think other things. 
make him more steadfast in his desire to be a better sheriff next time. I want I'm, I learned some things, and I want if, if faced with them again, I would do the following differently. He's that kind of guy, and I think if that's his takeaway mm-hmm. uh, at the end of reckoning, uh, too. Well, when it all is said and done, how will the ta- the town respond to him? Well, he's uh, he, mm. as sheriff. He is a uh, by definition kind of a he's a, he has to be a political animal. He is sheriffs are elected, so mm. he ha- he he doesn't have to please anyone, but no. he functions at the pleasure of the populace. And um, so as a result of that, people have uh, very strong opinions about him one way or another. And um, he interacts with the town as the town interacts with him. And some appreciate what he does, and others may think he's heavy-handed, and others may think he's uh, too even-handed. There are probably as many... Opinions about Ty in his town as there are town people. I know that too. I have a tendency that if I think that something is wrong, when I taught for a very long time, and if I saw something that wasn't right, and I didn't care who did it, I would report it. And it's it's scary because there were so many um, kids that were abused. And if they tell you that they're abused and you're wrong, so what? But if you're right, you have to you have to speak up for how you believe, and a lot of people criticized me and said, "Well, why are you getting involved?" I said, "Because he would have been dead tomorrow." That's why. I mean, yeah, this is uh, this is not uh, it's not a game. There are no, very serious not. consequences to life. It, uh, it's it's scary. when we need to be able to discern, though, you know, because not everything is life and death either. And to, discernment is an important quality of uh, yeah. uh, human existence, I think, too. So what's next for Ty and Jesse? Well, what, what's next a, for him? Uh, Re- Reckoning is the book, as I say. It'll be coming out on September 12th, and I'm thrilled about that, very excited. Um, there is a follow-up that is already finished. So there is mm. a fourth book in the Ty Dawson series that will uh, – continue on and I am working on the fifth uh, as we speak so Ty has gotten a lot of support from my new publisher and a lot of wonderful support from readers and uh, professionals such as yourself which I just am so grateful for that uh, you know that he that Ty has been able to sort of connect with uh, with people in the same, in a similar vein that uh, the Longmire type uh, character has has found resonance in in uh, pop culture. Well, this is really good. You're gonna love this. They somebody's tagging me and all of this stuff um, about uh, your book and everything like that. Book talk with Black. Oh. Now tag your friends on Facebook and read it. <laughs> Well, well, bless their hearts. Thank you, whoever's doing that. I appreciate that very much. Yep, it is. It's right there. 
what can I what can I say? Getting you know, I have never ever ever had so many people that are you know re- reading everything that I write. Now if they'd read my book, I'd be so much happier. So what about Powell? And this is you know the next one. So when do you think the next one's coming out? I you know when I got the request from Gene, I was so excited. I said, how come I never reviewed his book and how come I never talked to him? I was like, that's not fair. You know, I usually, up I, until now, I've always been with small independent publishers. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I myself am experiencing an entirely new uh, mm-hmm. experience as an author with a publisher that's really got my back and an agent that's really got my back and really believes in the series. And, uh, that's good. Uh, it, well, it is. And I kind of, I'm, I'm mystified a little bit, but... Uh, it's thrilling because now I know that when I'm sitting down to write, that it, it it will likely see the light of day, and it's not just one of those things that you do because you know I don't know I don't know what's going to happen to this. So it's a it's a different kind of a thing that I'm most appreciative of. Well, I do my books on um, self-publishing with a very good publisher. I tried. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say which one. Independent publishing. It was a mistake. Mm-hmm. First of all. They charged three thousand six hundred dollars. When I was like, "What?" to publish the book, and it was too late to say no. Oh wow! Because they already had yeah. it. And second of all, they did nothing to promote it. They said, "If you want oh, to promote yeah. it, it'll cost you another six thousand dollars for a marketing project." I said, "I can pay my friend Karen a hundred dollars for the year, and she'll do it for me." I mean, yeah, and promotion's the thing now. Uh, yeah, we, I know. We, I, I I came from the music business, and back in the old days, uh, mm-hmm. it, we used to say, you know, it's all about distribution, and it was because if your records weren't in a record store, nobody was going to find you. Uh, in today's day and age, in the digital age, where there's mm-hmm. where there's self-publishing and and options galore, uh, it's not so much about distribution; it's about discovery. And That's right. with so so many authors and so many voices, uh, it can be challenging to find the voices that resonate with you as a reader. I can't I can't stand bugs. What can I say? And this thing was crawling on my wall. It's it's gone. What can I say? So where can well, everybody find out more about you and your work? And are you going to do it? I have to do this because Gina will want to know. She want to know if you're going to do another one with them because they are great. Uh, with, with who? Partners in Crime. Oh, uh, they are wonderful. And my experience with them has been five stars and absolutely. Uh, they're They're going to be part of the team. When the uh, when the fourth book comes out, so there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, where to find me? Uh, the best place yeah. to find me. My website has been under construction for about a year, still is. So don't look <laughs> for me there. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook. It is Baron R. Bercher. There's a middle initial in there, uh, just to make things complicated. I apologize. But Baron R. Bercher. There's an author page that probably has more fun stuff on there. Uh, I think my personal page is just more silly. Yeah, well, it's more family stuff. If you know, if you want to see my 
my grandson eating birthday cake, I guess go there. But uh, I would recommend you go to my author page, Baron R. Bircher, and I'm on Facebook. I'm also on uh, Instagram as well. I won't tell you how many places I'm on. Too many. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, what, it's a what, necessary what, thing these days, isn't it? Well, my, my nephew put me on Spotify because the show, as soon as it's done, goes on Spotify for some reason. Oh, very good. He did. He did that. He did a whole lot of stuff which his aunt doesn't want to do, which is which is really great. But this this is this has been fun and um everybody listen, my I posted your review on my just reviews. It's there. Hopefully oh, it's it, you'll Thank like you what I wrote. Much. I do I not so. ever I'm write sure I, I never write negative reviews. And to be honest, if a book it's not out yet, so September twelfth remind me to post it on Amazon with ten stars. Um I never post if a book is in three and a half, four stars, I won't review it. I'll just write a summary. And since I've been being the object of a couple of nasty reviews recently, I feel that I would never do that to someone else. I was edited by a professional editor. He was really good. And somebody said, I didn't like the dialogue. You didn't edit it. I said, I didn't edit the book, but somebody that knows what they're doing did. And obviously, you don't understand what quality work is. Normally, I don't well, answer uh... As they uh, as they say, uh, they say what opinions are like, and that everybody's got one. So there you go. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, this would be very nice. Uh, so I I have a question for you. Uh, is yes. There, uh, is, is there a link or something that that I will be able to share on my uh, Facebook page so that people might be able to listen to this uh, if they missed it live? You're going to get the link from Gina later. Beautiful. Very good. You'll well, de- we'll definitely get the link for later, without a doubt. No, that's part of my deal with her. They they just you know as a matter they don't they don't even ask me. They just said we have a we have somebody that wants to do an interview. Just give us a date because you're not getting out of it. Whatever. Not that I want to. Well, it has really been a great honor and a real delight to <laughs> chat with you, and uh, I, I appreciate it so very much. This has been fun. Everybody, it may be raining outside, but it's beautiful inside. And get a copy of Reckoning. The title says it all, by the way, in a lot of different multiple meanings. So if they don't understand what the word means, they can read it. Thank you so much, Baron. Everybody have a positive day, and bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you.